0: This morning will be um, part two of this um, message series, not a very long one, a two-part series of This Doesn't Make Any Sense. So much about our lives is not supposed to make a lot of sense as believers. It's not supposed to make A lot of sense It's not supposed to reconcile. There's a lot of our lives that just shouldn't make a lot of sense. And how we endure affliction and suffering and evil is one of those ways that shouldn't make any sense. How we endure that. I I have a disclaimer. If you were here last week, if you heard the message from last week, I have a disclaimer that I want um, to share. I thought all week it bothered me that, as I was mentioning different afflictions and sufferings, um, I left off some, <laughs> and I thought, man, you know you know how good it feels for somebody, to, the preacher to mention your deal? <laughs> that feels good, it's like somebody's recognizing and identifying my pain. Somebody's with me, and to have it mentioned kind of feels good, and I, I left off a few and it ate at me all week, and um, uh, my disclaimer is, those of you that have lost loved ones, um, I just want to recognize that this morning. And I've thought about those of you that I know. I know the, I, I think I know the pain that's associated with that. I haven't lost anyone yet very close to me. But I thought about you this week and I prayed for you. And then on the back side of that, um, I want to say this. There was a lot said last week about what God taught me in my little affliction that I've known about growing up. I said, Put your big boy pants on. That's what God told me in the midst of affliction when I, when I yielded to bitterness and pity. He said, listen, grow up and lead your family and let me comfort you. And so I want to say something that grieving a loss, grieving your afflictions, grieving suffering, that grief is real and it's necessary and it's appropriate. That grieving... It's real, it's necessary, and it's appropriate. So if you find yourself grieving over your affliction, over your sufferings, over your loss, it's appropriate. But hear this. In the midst of your grief, bitterness and pity and contempt are standing ready to rob you of your comfort. I want you to hear that again. Bitterness and pity and contempt for affliction stand ready to rob you of God's comfort in the midst of your affliction and in the midst of your grief. So that's just the disclaimer. I didn't want you to hear or assume that I was saying that grieving was not good. And nobody said anything to me. I just, it's been eating at me this week. And I, and I feel for those of you that have lost loved ones. So many things, there are so many things that we seek first when pain comes and affliction comes. There's so many things that we seek comfort in that are empty. Um, as simple as new clothes, a new haircut, new cars, a new home. I'll redo my home. That's comforting. New trucks. Well, a new truck is pretty comforting, but it would be to me, being a little too transparent there. There's so many things that are readily available to us where so we can seek comfort in. And yet for us, what we seek comfort and where we find comfort shouldn't make any sense when it comes to our afflictions. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you'll turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The comfort that we find in affliction is not really supposed to make and probably won't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. There's three things that I want you to uh, get this morning. That our affliction is a privilege, it's productive, but it is not ultimate. Our affliction, our pain, our suffering, it is a privilege, and it's productive, but it is not ultimate. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read verse 3 through 7, and look at this passage again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that, remember the so that, so that's our critical, they're important. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken for we know that as you share in our sufferings you will also share in our comfort. Look at verse 4 again. Who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. God brings things into our lives and He ordains and purposes afflictions for us that we might have this great privilege of being the vehicle of comfort for other people. Do you see that? What a privilege that He would use us and our affliction and whatever He asks us to walk through. What a privilege it would be for Him to use me and my life as a vehicle to administer that comfort to other people. And it's also very comforting to know that our afflictions have purpose. It's not fate. Affliction's not dumb luck. You're not cursed. I hope you find comfort in the fact that any affliction that you're going through, however great your pain, it, it has a purpose. There's a reason for it. And the great privilege of your, of your afflictions is that He might use you to minister His comfort to other people. One of the things that I've seen in our body that's so encouraging to me is I think it's interesting that if there is someone who's going through a lot and then you, you take somebody who is really struggling with something maybe, maybe not quite as much and the person who has gone through what's perceived as greater affliction looks to someone else and says, Wow, you are really suffering right now. To hear from somebody that you perceive as going through greater affliction, how, how ministering, how good does that feel? How soothing is that to hear from somebody who you perceive going through this great affliction to look at you and to listen to you and to hear you and say, You, you really are taking the brunt of some affliction. Think about how that makes you feel when somebody that you perceive has gone through more that say to you, I identify with what you're going through. Not only that, I don't know how you're doing it. It's pretty tough. And it feels good for us to identify and recognize in each other our afflictions. He has a purpose for them. There's a reason for every evil and suffering. And He purposes them so that you might be able to comfort somebody else. And there's a second part to this privilege. Look at verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort. It's there's this idea that when we go through affliction, he draws near, Philippians four. 4. He is near when the tough times come and He draws near and to know that when our afflictions come that He would be close we get to know Him more we become more familiar with the cross and that we could identify with our Savior what a privilege what a privilege to say I don't just know about Him I identify with Him and through this affliction I'm knowing Him more He's revealing Himself and comforting me more and there's this idea here that The more the affliction, the more the comfort. The less the affliction, really the less comforting he can be. And that doesn't make sense. In our minds, it would make more sense. God, if you would lower the affliction in my life, I'd be a lot more comfortable. You see how backwards that is? It doesn't make sense. But there's this idea here that Paul so beautifully states. That it's a privilege when you are afflicted and you have suffering and you have pain and you have loss. There's a privilege that the more you're afflicted, the more you'll be able to minister to other people. And the more I will draw near and the more of my comfort and the more of me you will know and the more you will identify with Christ and His sufferings. What a privilege. And so here we find ourselves. It's a little scary place to be for me especially um, knowing that that we're standing here welcoming affliction, that doesn't make any sense. To to be a body of believers that would say, "Bring it on," like Paul said in Philippians four, I know how to be brought low. I know how to have plenty. I know how to have nothing, but I can endure all things because of the cross. And the more affliction, the more you know the cross, the more familiar you are with it. And then we find ourselves in this strange cliff, at the edge of this strange cliff that says, boy, I welcome affliction. I don't run from it. I don't have contempt for it. I'm not going to have bitterness in the midst of it because I know there's a purpose behind it and there's a privilege to be afflicted. That is crazy. That is crazy. And it doesn't make any sense to the world outside and it doesn't make sense to a lot of us that our afflictions would be a privilege. I am no expert in God's comfort because I have not been an expert in His afflictions. I am no expert in comfort. I've known a little but I have not known great affliction so I'm not an expert in comfort. And to give this some perspective I wonder who do you ask about great comfort? And think on a global scale I think I wonder what the poorest of the poor believers in northern Africa I wonder what they would say about God's comfort. Missionaries to the Middle East those people that are in the most least reached, unreached places on earth who are the church. They don't play church. They don't do church. They are the church. I think we would find a wealth and a rich abundance of stories of comfort because they have known great affliction. And for us in our culture, our afflictions may be different. But I am no expert in God's comfort because I have not been an expert in His afflictions. And some of you may be experiencing, and you would say, hey, I'm an expert in affliction. Well, I hope that you can also say that you're an expert in his comfort and not an expert in your bitterness and in your pain. So we're welcoming affliction, and it's a crazy place to be, and it doesn't make any sense. Our afflictions, number two, our afflictions are productive. Our afflictions are productive. Look at verse six. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort, and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we endure. It is for your comfort and it's for your salvation, he says. The fact that you go through affliction. The fact that we go through affliction. Paul says, us identifying and ministering to one another through our afflictions. You find comfort and it's for your salvation. Paul is, is trying to teach us. And he does it in Romans 2, in Romans chapter 5, that as we are afflicted, our faith becomes steady. As we endure suffering, patiently enduring whatever he has for us and his plan and his purpose, our faith would become concrete, confident, assurance. And so he's saying, Your affliction is not just a privilege. It's productive and it produces in you a steady, confident faith. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Verse 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So suffering produces endurance. Endurance, he says here, produces character. I'm not really sure why the word character is used. We have a connotation for character of uh, that guy's a character. He has lots of personality um, or that it makes you deeper. But the real better maybe word here is confidence. Assurance, a steady faith, a perseverance is produced in us and our salvation. Uh, Peter talks about a secure position. Our position is more secure, more confident. Our faith is stronger and more steady because of affliction. And that's what it produces in us. It produces endurance. And endurance produces character, confidence, assurance. And character produces a hope. Our hope, our hope in Him assassinates the shame associated with suffering. Maybe you've thought before when you've gone through tough times, you've thought, what am I doing wrong? And you're thinking, what are people thinking about me when things aren't going right? That's shame. And your hope assassinates that shame. Because you have a hope. A hope in an eternal, sovereign, ultimate God who has a purpose for your affliction and your affliction is a privilege and you know it's producing a steady faith in you. You can know that that affliction is producing in you an assurance and a hope that in turn assassinates any shame. This... Look at, look at verse 5 again. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Listen. God is not pulling the rug out from under you. That would be an affliction to shame you. And He's not doing that. And you may feel like He is, but He's not pulling the rug out. His afflictions have Purpose. And they're a privilege. And they're productive. And not to shame you. Because God's love has been poured out. Into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given. A hope not to shame us. He's not playing games with you. And whatever you're going through. Whatever you've been through. And whatever you will go through. It's a privilege. And it is productive. But bitterness and contempt. And pity. And pity are the enemy of God's comfort in your life. And it will rob you of His comfort if you let it reign. If you're having trouble seeing this, if you're just really, man, that's, that sounds really good and I know it's there and I know it's in 2 Corinthians, but you know, I, I, I'm just not there ready to say, Lord, bring it on. I, I will welcome any affliction. H- hear me say, this is not an obnoxious angle that we're supposed to take. But we would say anything that comes our way, we can't endure it because we're familiar with the cross. And we're familiar with a God that's a God of comfort and a Father of all mercies. But if you're still having trouble with the idea that our affliction and our suffering could be a privilege or that it could be even be any, produce anything good. And, and if you're having trouble with that, and I would say maybe... You forgot about Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? Hadn't been that long ago. Two weeks. (laughs) Remember Lazarus? Dead, couldn't do anything about it. Jesus called him to life. How silly would it be if Lazarus said, Man, Jesus, thanks for saving me. But man, could you not, you know, these bindings, they're really getting on my nerves. My back's really sore. I've been laying there for four days. You can't fix my back? Thanks for bringing me to life. My back still hurts. Need a new chariot. <laughs> sure, it would be nice if you could bless me more and then you and I could make your name even greater because I could show how you gave me all these things. And that's how we act when affliction comes and we think, well, we just have a really good view of ourselves." Remember when Ben talked about Paul? He preached about, I'm sorry, Saul. How he he went from having this low view of himself and then he he gradually went to this high view of himself and he's holding that spear thinking everybody's out to get him. Bitterness and pity reigned in his life because he had a high view of himself instead of being comforted by God in his affliction. He robbed himself. Robbed himself of God's comfort. And I don't want you to rob yourself of God's comfort. I want you to be able, and I want myself and my family to be able to see any affliction that God brings our way as a privilege and productive. The third thing our affliction is not ultimate. It's not ultimate. Anytime something comes into our life that's evil, suffering. There's not really any way we can really comprehend it. There's no real way to make sense of, of it. Um, it just doesn't make sense. Our afflictions just don't make sense. But the evil and the affliction and the suffering is not ultimate. God is. He is ultimate. He will end. He is the beginning and the end. Satan, the great lover of evil and suffering, he's not sovereign. But our God is. and He has a purpose. He's not pulling the rug out from underneath you. He won't do that. He doesn't bring affliction to shame you. He brings affliction so that you will know him more and know his comfort greater. I I pray you won't disconnect at this point. I want to read some scriptures here and and you can jot these down if you want to, uh, the references, but, but just listen. Listen to these scriptures that point to his sovereignty and his ultimateness and his comfort and trust him and trust what these verses have to say. Daniel chapter 4 says, He does according to his will, the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, and none can I'm sorry, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Daniel 4:35. Who can say to him, what have you done? He is the Almighty. Isaiah forty six ten. He declares the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, "My counsel shall stand; I will accomplish all of my purpose." Even if you don't see it, if you can just say and know there's a purpose in this, I don't see it yet. You can trust Isaiah; he will finish everything. This is this is one of my favorites. Lamentations three thirty seven and thirty eight. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and bad come? This is the the most simple verse, Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. Listen to what Job said in, in chapter 12. Listen to this. In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. The longer we go and things are pretty simple and easy, the more contempt we'll have when affliction comes. The thought, in the thought of the one who is at ease, there is great contempt for any misfortune. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, Job said? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Proverbs nineteen, twenty-one. This is the part that hurts. Many are the plans in the minds of men, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Maybe we bring some afflictions on ourselves making our great plans. Well, they don't work out. We see it as affliction when we just need Proverbs 19 to know You can make plans, but his purpose will stand. His plan will finish. His plan is ultimate. Proverbs 16, the lot is cast, but every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast. You can put your money down, but it doesn't matter how much you put down or what your odds are. His purpose will stand. And then there's the great one in Romans 8. Therefore, if God is for us, who could be against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? If God is for us, who can be against us? Look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. This is my prayer for us as a body, and this is my prayer for my family, and this is my prayer for you, whether you are knowing great affliction right now or whether it is in your past or in your near future. This is my prayer for you, and then my prayer for myself. And it's the same prayer that Paul had for these people. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share... In sufferings that you will also share in comfort, too. That's my prayer is that you will not let the enemy rob you of his comfort. And that as you share in suffering, that you will also share in his comfort. Ben said something a while ago about um, reading the bulletin and getting the bulletin. Well, there's something in there. If you have one, there's a little poem. And um, I know that's kind of cheesy, and I'm not a poem guy. And I don't understand most poems because they don't speak directly. And so, but this one really ministered to me. And I'm going to show my ignorance here because I don't really know where it came from. I've heard a couple people use it. But John Piper used it in a message and that's the only one I know to give it credit to. He quite possibly could have written it. He does write poetry. And so if you have a bulletin, um, if not, just listen closely. There's other copies on the table if you want it. God moves... In a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright design and works his sovereign will. We just read passages that affirm that. He will finish his plans. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. It's not going to make sense. Most likely it won't. Don't judge the Lord by your feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud... May have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. He is ultimate. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Father, thank you for our time today in your word. Thank you for our worship time together. And as we, um, as we give our tithes and our offerings... We pray that you would bless them. You make them go further than what we think they can go. It's my prayer that our hope would be unshaken and as that we experience suffering, we would experience more comfort. In Jesus' name, amen.